Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Top Stories of the Week, presented by Girl on the Gov, the podcast. This exclusive bonus episode drops on Tuesdays and gives you the 411 on the need to know political news and tea. So as always, we'll keep you updated. Welcome back to Top Stories of the Week. It's a fresh week with, honestly, not super fresh stories, just kind of like continued stories, but... The one thing that is fresh is is the news from today that Speaker Pelosi, Senior Advisor Mitch Landrieu, Pete Buttigieg, and Mayor London Breed were all in San Francisco today celebrating the $400 million that are going towards the Golden Gate Bridge to retrofit and upgrade her. We love a makeover. We love a glow up. And... Look, the Golden Gate needs her shine, needs her moment, needs a little, like, you know what I mean? A little more bronzer, dare we say, or, Mm. you know, a little highlight. But regardless, I think the important part to highlight, speaking of highlighting here, is the fact that Madison Blue Medved got to attend a little press conference today, getting to hear the chitter chatter all about this. And I have to Mm -hmm. ask, what did we learn What did we see? Who did we see? I do know that we got a really cute selfie with Pelosi where Pelosi's not looking. (laughs) And that will be posted by the the way in which the Secret Service guys were just like, ma'am, can you please move out of the way? Like you, (laughs) (laughs) I was just like hovering. But so was everyone. But yes, I was in attendance. I finally got to see Pelosi in action. And we also got to see our friends, Pete Buttigieg and Mitch Landrieu, who were at the New Deal conference that we went to in DC. So to just see those those wonderful men once again was, was such a treat. And Samantha, Mitch Landrieu for president. His voice, I haven't even gotten to like fully watch your stories because I saw a few come up. I was finishing some other things and I was like, okay, I'm going to say this later because Mitch's voice, his accent, I know we've mentioned this before. It is so incredible. Mm -hmm. He could be telling me that bunnies aren't cute and the sun is going to freeze over and I'd be like, great. Tell me more. No, I... I'm obsessed with him. And Sam and I, like, again, we saw him in the New Deal conference and, like, we're obsessed with him then. And then to see him again today, I was like, no, you are everything. And I need I need him to run for president. Also, so all of them, even the mayor, like, they had just, like, their security and team, like, surrounding them, like, hovering, like, yeah. everywhere they walked. Not Mitch. Mitch was just chilling. Like, he was going on his own. Like, nobody was really following him. He was just talking to everybody, just being a literal, like, guy's guy and i was just like you are everything well you know what i think of like with that too is like he's not an elected official so 
Yeah, but neither is Pete, technically. That's a good point. Hmm. So interesting. Interesting. But by the way, I do wonder. I did recognize one of the Secret Service guys from New Deal. I think he was like he's Pete's guy because he was there. Was he hot? There too. No. Oh. But yeah, I was. Wait, that's actually so funny. I recognize you, sir. It's like, hey, Um, nice to see you again, buddy boy, buddy, buddy, buddy boy. Wait, question though. What's like the general like consensus about London Breed? Like I, mm. as an East Coaster, know of her. I general broad strokes, but I really don't know anything. New York's got so much just constant drama around whoever our mayor is because mm-hmm. we never pick well, insert rant. So there's just so much focus on that that sometimes I feel like I don't. Yeah, she's like, I've been so hot and cold with her. I really want to get her on the show. So we'll work on that. But yeah, I think it's interesting. Like in SF, there's all there's always so much like finger pointing. And I think it always Mm. goes back to the mayor. But then and I've I've been guilty of also doing some of that finger pointing sometimes. But then when you actually like dig deeper and like hear what she says on issues and where she stands and like the work that she does, like she is she is working for sure. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the optics around issues in San Francisco get put on her, which I'm sure there's definitely like more she could do and always everyone can always improve whatever. But I've I've been guilty of the blame game without really diving deeper into what's really happening. And when I did dig deeper, I did like what I saw around Mayor Breed. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm going to have to do a deep dive myself because I'm just generally like curious. I, yeah, it was funny. Like when we were just talking about this event pre like hopping on whatever. And I was like, she's going to be there. I was like, obviously it makes so much sense. And it just kind of like light bulb to me. I was like, wait, how do I not know more about her? Like we, it's not like we haven't touched California politics or SF. I just, for whatever reason, didn't. So look guys, everyone join me on this journey of exploration and Googling. Yep, we gotta learn more. But a so, lot of content to come on on yeah. this day. I literally my phone storage is about to blow up. Um, what is with you in the phone storage? It's How, because what, I literally you... have pictures and videos from oh, high school still on my phone. You told I don't me about know this, what to do with and them. Then I classically forgot. Yeah, so I think that's probably my biggest issue. But yeah, I've t- I took a lot of videos. I. We got some up close and personal shots of the whole crew. And yeah, it was a great event. Great celebrating lovely lady GGB. And um, wait, I'm obsessed with that. Yeah. Yeah. She deserves it. She the money is going towards retrofitting for future earthquakes, which we are due for a big one here. Oh, God. As well as just preserving her beauty and her grace for generations to come, which I couldn't be more supportive of, but also just a cool moment too. I'm glad that they are doing these events to show the public where mm. this money is going to because it is a massive infrastructure package, one that like we haven't had in decades and decades on decades. So it's a huge deal. And so to see kind of like where money is getting put and having them celebrate it, I think is important. A thousand percent. And we talk about marketing and messaging all the time, mm-hmm. like literally to the cows to come home or whatever. And I think this is a great example of the Dems turning in the right direction on some marketing and messaging and realizing how important it is to share what 
the like result of funding is or what the result of a certain bill is like where that lands and mm-hmm. we just need to continue to see more of it but this is definitely a great example so yeah cheers to that getting to see mm-hmm. little nance getting to yeah see that was my first time seeing nance she she dressed in a full like kind of like rust red orange suit mm-hmm. i feel like she and- loves that well, she was like, I didn't, it didn't click until she obviously spoke and she was talking about the bridge being, she called it orange. I've always considered it red, hmm. but she said when she first came to San Francisco when she was a kid, she was so upset that the bridge wasn't golden. And then she was like, but instead I showed up and it was orange. And then I was like, orange and she's wearing orange. I'm like, oh, she's, she's trying to match GGB. That is the most. Pelosi thing ever. I'm honestly, maybe that's such the brilliance of Nance. Mm -hmm. Like she really thinks to every little fashion diplomacy. Totally. I love it. I love it. And she, her fashion is always symbolic in one way or the other, which totally I think is, is, is cool, especially given that society and the media just love to talk about what what women wear anyways. So it's like, give them something to talk about. It's like, well, here's your actual story. Here's the important part. Now let's like yeah. use that as the cue into like what's important here. Yeah, it's like her fashion mm-hmm. s- symbolizes things that keep steering the conversation like back to whatever the issue is at hand, which I think is a cool, a cool I thing. I agree. It's lovely seeing, lovely seeing her. It was, and it was an honor to be in her presence. And once more, Mitch Landry for president. Wow. That's quite the endorsement. The way I wanted, like, because again, he was like, making himself very accessible like the whole time and I'm just such a little weenie and like get too scared to talk to people and I was standing right next to him and I was like I wish I kind of want to just like take a TikTok or something and have him in it and be like so would you ever run for president and just see what he said but I didn't because I'm a little scaredy cat no it's fair look I think also too the social media end of things like we're still getting pulled into being like a part of the norm and i feel like it puts extra like pressure on it too of like oh is this okay and being by yourself like if if it was you and i i would be like we would have sam let's yeah let's go up to people but yeah and i'm just when i'm by myself i'm not good at networking so i feel like it's just so much easier when it's like when you just have even one more person there's something about approaching someone it's just so well if I can't even like approach a dude at a bar when I'm drunk imagine that I can do but I can't we know that about me so imagine me in a setting like this but oh I see your point goals is to get Mitch on the show and if Mm. and when that happens I'm asking him if he'll run for president okay I already just had an idea of who we're gonna ask to make this happen so oh okay fantastic well let's get into these stories top stories of the week not that the golden gate bridge funding wasn't a story because i went there as press so we had to talk about it come on obviously and i really hate this first story already i'm so sorry but it is the talk of the town and i think one that always Uh, needs an explainer so we're getting into it it's the debt ceiling guys the debt limit is back and congress is having another moment and this particular round of wrestling over the issue could carry the ugliest economic consequences yet Mm, hold would you ever date a guy that was a wrestler i would prefer not to same. Okay. Continue. Okay. The U.S. government technically ran out of money to meet its myriad of obligations on Thursday, 
everyone is still getting paid for now because the treasury can use what it calls, quote, extraordinary measures to move government assets around and provide cash. But by summer, if not sooner, cash will not be available to repay bondholders and other creditors for the loans that have already come due, nor will there be cash to pay the military or millions of other federal employees that pensioners or the beneficiaries of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and other entitlement programs. And that's just the payroll, leaving aside all the purchases and contract work. So that ends up adding up to an awful a lot of unpaid and unhappy people. But that's not the only reason defaulting on the debt has historically been regarded as unthinkable. If the U.S. were to default, all those unpaid creditors would be under pressure from their own creditors, setting off reverberations in credit markets worldwide. But for those on Capitol Hill who would threaten a default as a means to compel concessions on policy, the destructive power of default is what makes it attractive as a tactic. So we find ourselves on the brink of yet another crisis. We have been here before, but this time the House the House's new Republican majority is largely driven by a faction that says it will hold the debt limit vote as a as hostage to win policy changes. And that faction has already demonstrated it has unprecedented leverage over the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. So side note, I drove by this house the other day and it had a like a for sale sign. And it had like the, you know, like it has like the realtor's name on it, like at the top of signs and whoever this poor sucker is, his name is also Kevin McCarthy. And I was like, oh, rough. Eh." I can't help business. No, it really can't. Unless Republican buyer. I don't know. Yeah. Perhaps. So what is the debt limit? The debt limit, also known as the debt ceiling, is not in the Constitution nor in any of its 27 amendments. It's just a statute, a law enacted as part of legislation allowing the government to issue bonds to finance U.S. participation in the First World War in 1917. It has been in place causing headaches and prompting evasive action ever since. The total debt accumulated by the U.S. government has been growing with each budget deficit since the 1700s, folks. But when Congress wanted to issue those war bonds in 1917, there was resistance from legislators who opposed adding debt or just opposed entering the war. At the time, many Midwesterners, German-Americans, and Irish-Americans were opposed to the U.S. going to war on the side of Great Britain. A little history moment for everybody. The debt limit was a device to move the bonds bill. The initial limit was a few billion dollars, big money then, but not enough for the tasks ahead. It soon proved inadequate, so Congress raised it. Soon Congress raised it again and again. In 1939, anticipating U.S. entry into the Second World War, Congress restructured the debt and raising the limit became more or less routine. And then since 1960, the limit has been lifted 78 times. And Democrats have been in the White House for 30 of those years and worked with Congress to get 29 of those increases. Republican presidents have done it 49 times. For most of that time, raising or suspending the limit was just the last stitch in the federal budget and spending process. And so the debt limit could be eliminated entirely by statute, just as it was created. But if votes to raise the limit are unpopular, the fallout could be worse if Congress chose to abandon the limit altogether. So... As a result, presidents have gone on asking Congress to raise the limit, and congressional leaders have found ways to get the votes to do so, and the national debt and the limit have continued to rise. So what does hitting the debt ceiling mean for you? When Washington talks about trillions, it's like hearing astronomers talk about light years, which 
I love that analogy because couldn't be more. It's like when anyone talks about math in front of Samantha and I. Mm-hmm. It's easy for the rest of us to feel irrelevant, tempted to just tune out, but you don't have to be an economist to know a U.S. debt default is the last thing the world economy needs right now. So there is already, ever, though. you know what I mean? Like there's it's so what? much of this, like, like that's such a, a thing of like ever, like there's never a good time for like the U.S. debt totally. to default. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, of course. But given we are in economic turmoil still, it's a little bit scary. But there is already a possible recession looming. So jobs and livelihoods are at risk, not to mention higher borrowing costs and taxes down the road. So even if you don't get a federal check of any kind, including a tax refund, the fallout from default would be likely to reach you sooner than later. Few escaped unscathed in a recession and a recession driven by chaos. A key point here is that the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt. That is one big reason for the dollar being the world's strongest currency and for bonds issued on the, quote, full faith and credit of the U.S. government being the global standard of investment security. So if the U.S. government had to give up its perfect credit rating, it could expect to pay more and possibly much more to borrow what it must, both now and in the future. And that would mean higher taxes or still more need to borrow even larger amounts or both. So... What's the controversy here? A key point to remember, raising the debt limit is not about spending in the future. It's about meeting the cost of existing commitments the government has already made. The time to cut back future spending is in the budget and appropriation process processes. The government goes each year in anticipation of the next. That is where the future is determined. The debt limit is about owning up to the past, paying the bill that has arrived for previous purchases and commitments. And so now this year, this, yeah. Okay. I'm just LOLing at whoever wrote this one. It is like such a, like, I'm not saying that the drama is not warranted. It is. But like owning up to the past, like you would think like this is like some weird, like full vendetta type story. Owning up for the past. The language is funny, Uh, but I honestly respect it because it's such like a confusing, lame topic. So to hear it in like this language, I think is helpful. But Anyways, last chunk here. Why is this year's fight any different from years prior? I feel like we hear about the debt ceiling every year. What? What? It's literally Passover. Why is this year any different from any of the other years? I'm dead. Okay, so for now, the White House and the leaders of both parties in Congress continue to vow that they will avoid a default. But Republican leaders are saying they won't raise the limit until the White House and Democrats agree to negotiate deep cuts in the federal budget and substantial changes to the spending process. How deep? How substantial? (laughs) Those would be among the questions to be answered. And the most recent episodes of controversy with the debt limit happened in 2021 and 2017. The situation now is quite different. We have a Democratic president and a nominally Democratic Senate arrayed against a narrowly Republican House dominated from by a diehard faction that <laughs> sentence is... i'm done hey you guys feel you feel the weight of this hopefully it's getting across and so anyone who questions the determination of this newly energized hardcore in the house should review the 15 rounds of voting it took to just elect kevin mccarthy as speaker this month it was the longest such struggle since before the civil war and mccarthy appears to have granted the holdouts an array of concessions on issues procedures and committee assignments so i think it's just painting the picture of this kind of being the perfect storm of a lot of crazy shit happening as far as just the balance in congress to 
the actual economic state our country's in already. So this is obviously going to be a running story to figure out how they manage and deal with this. But mm-hmm. hopefully an explainer to kind of wrap your head around it. I always need it. I never understand it. And so thank you, NPR, too. for the dram- dramatic explainer. So dramatic. <laughs> also, for another explainer that's like really shareable too, besides this episode, don't forget to share it with the group chat, with your friends, with your fam, everyone. Ben Sheehan, as per usual, did a great video explainer on the debt ceiling. So if you want a social share, go there. If you're more like mm, a little auditory, little podcast share, feel free to share this episode with friends and fam. And I will make one note before we get into this next story. This is like one of those things where like if there's something specific that you want to share with, again, the friends, the fam, whatever, tell them where to start in the episode. So if like, for example, you want to share them on the debt ceiling story and it starts at minute seven, tell them skip to minute seven. We're not offended. We're not. We want to get them the info they want to hear and help you out. So that's your tip and trick for the day. But we have another story that's a classic Mm, we'll keep you updated because we're talking about the Biden classified documents again with good reason, very good reason, because interesting things especially keep breaking over the weekend. And it's so funny because this is I feel like this is a direct hit at me of saying a few weeks ago that everyone's releasing news on Fridays and the press releases on Fridays. And it's actually like the big news, like the news patterns are changing and whatnot but i feel like this has been done in this way that's actually the classic way the classic hide it no i totally agree and i'm like i think too in the past like i i feel like we've talked about this how like when is news dropped and i feel like it's been again just crazy there's crazy news so like when it drops it's like regardless it's gonna get attention this though I think is so strategically placed because Mm -hmm. there's also not much going on in the news right now. And except for this story, really, and for them to then like it always be coming out on weekends, like it just makes so much more sense of like they're doing everything to try and and hide it simmer this let us like asterisk that there is obviously other news going on in the sense of like we had just had a really incredibly tragic mass shooting. There's things that are going on some insane wild weather but when we say news going on in this realm we mean specifically political news in the essence of like bills passing announcements for campaigns things like that so just yeah keep it's that like in mind slow as politically like, for sure politically. all right well getting into what dropped over the weekend the fbi which by the way i can't even get into a story without a fucking antidote antidote is that how you say that anecdote anecdote there there it is i wear a hat today because it was it was chilly okay and i literally looked like i was in the fbi i was like wearing all black head to toe oh i was wearing bean boots i guess i could have been in the fbi but the hat i like literally was like what am i a secret agent total vibe Anyways, the actual FBI, not me, spent more than 12 hours searching Biden's Wilmington, Delaware residence Friday and found more classified documents. Yikes. Some of the items date back to Biden's time as a senator, while others from his time as VP, said Biden's personal attorney, Bob Bauer, who announced the extraordinary development in a Saturday night statement. The Justice Department also took some handwritten notes for further review, he said. 
A spokesperson for the U.S. attorney in Chicago, who's overseeing the investigation of the documents, told special counsel Robert Hur is in place, confirmed the research, saying that the FBI had executed a planned consensual search of Biden's home. I don't think I've ever heard of the term consensual, like said out of like, con- like in any other context but sexual. I'm just saying that I'm not, yeah. it, it clearly is accurate in its use, but yeah. have you? Probably, but I also agree that it's typically yeah. used in that setting. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what else to make of that besides just a comment for the road, y'all. It's the latest in a series of disclosures that has raised questions about Biden's handling of classified material and comes after the White House had said that the searches of Biden's residence had been complete. Biden has been defiant about the issue, telling reporters on Thursday that he has no regrets. (laughs) Hold up. Immediately, you know what my mind pans to? The movie with Jennifer Aniston. No regrets. And whatever it's, no regrets. (laughs) Classic. Oh my God, what if Biden had like a no regrets tattoo? Yeah, I was going to say that would be a funny, like, even social media moment, but that would just make him look bad. <laughs> That's fair. Which, uh, granted, he does granted look he's bad. still saying no regrets. He's still so. Saying... This might be a meme we have to make. Interesting. Food for thought. Anyways, he said no regrets about he and his team have handled the discovery and disclosure of the documents. I think you're going to find there's nothing there, Biden told reporters. There are parallels with the Trump documents investigation. Investigation comes as the Justice Department investigates a trove of documents that former President Donald Trump took to his personal residence in Florida when he left the White House. There are now two significant parallels in the two cases. Attorney General Merritt, oh my God. Attorney General Merrick Garland has now appointed special counsels to investigate each of the former and sitting president's actions. And now both the former and sitting president's homes have been searched by law enforcement. The Biden White House has chafed at comparisons, repeatedly emphasizing that Biden has fully cooperated while Trump repeatedly stonewalled investigators. That's true. I'll give him that. The White House has been selective in its disclosures about the documents. White House officials have stressed that Biden is cooperating with the investigation, even as they have repeatedly issued vague, incomplete, and at times misleading public statements about the scope of the probe. Interesting as well. The inquiry began after Biden's lawyers found documents in a private office on November 2nd. They found more documents in his Wilmington garage on December 20th and another in his home on January 11th. On January 14th, a White House lawyer found additional material. The FBI search of Biden's residence was kept under wraps until Saturday evening because the Justice Department requested it be private, Bauer said in his statement. Bauer said that Biden's representatives offered to provide prompt access to the Department of Justice to search Biden's home for documents. They went through decades of notes, files, memorabilia, and to-do lists. Searchers, according to Bauer, went through personally handwritten notes, files, papers, binders, memorabilia, to-do lists, schedules, and reminders going back decades, took possession of materials it deemed within the scope of its inquiry. That includes six items consisting of documents, classification markings, and surrounding materials, some of which dated back to Biden's time in the Senate, Bauer said. The DOJ also took some personally handwritten notes from Biden's time as vice president. The search began at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Standard and ended about 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard and covered all working, living, and storage spaces, spaces in the home, he said. Representatives of Biden's personal legal team and the White House counsel's offices were there. Neither Biden nor the First Lady were in Wilmington during the search. They travel home to Wilmington on most weekends, as Biden has done throughout his time in public office. Biden opted to instead go to his beach house in mid-January, raised questions whether the 
town I can never pronounce visit was in any way tied to the ongoing document investigation. On Friday, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked directly whether the visit was in any way tied to the classified documents investigation. She said he often travels to Delaware on the weekends. I just don't have anything else to share, she replied. Yeah, I mean, this... We shared a lot of a lot of thoughts last week we in did. our top stories episode. If you guys listened to that, our just original thoughts about this story, what it means, and the parallels again with the Trump situation, and how we just don't think this is a good look for Biden. I think it also creates issues with his candidate viability for twenty twenty four. And the other thing that it does is it, I think, can invalidate what the investigation around Trump could come to. The one thing that we don't really know yet, which I would like to know, is which level of classification these documents are. I think a big conversation around these stories, too, is like, are we calling too many things classified? And like, if there's tiers, how do we know what's, you know, what's actually dangerous to not be like locked up or not or whatever? We do know that Trump's documents were top secret had like major security information on them and he also did not cooperate so there was like that difference in distinction boxes like he like had boxes or at least how it's described boxes of documents that's like something you're like oh i'm packing this up the way that biden's is described and again i the descriptions are vague on this so it's what we're working with but it does seem like it's more of like, oh, there's a piece of paper here. There's a yeah, piece exactly. of paper there. And a granted, look, I agree. if I were them, I would definitely be spinning it that way, even if that weren't the case. So again, it's a little hard to tell like what the reality is here. So mm-hmm. I don't want to get ahead of myself and it really be more similar to the Trump scenario and then we're backtracking. So I want to be as realistic as, as possible here. But it really, the way it's painted, I see this more of Oh, there's a note here. There's a piece of a classified doc here. There's whatever. Mm-hmm. That said, but why is Trump getting bringing boxes on boxes right. of top secret national security information home with him? And you're a former president. I mean, and one that I don't fucking trust. Nope. So nope. yeah, I mean that like still there's still a lot to learn as far as the Biden side of everything, and I think we're just continuing to learn more information about it and. I think you're right. Like that's that is a distinction I have made of like it seems like they're just like document over there, document over there, like mixed in with like his notes and his schedule and his to do lists. Like that seems a little less sketchy to me than like the boxes. But again, like I just don't this isn't a good look. And I think optically, like we talked about last week, thinking of how the other side paints things and how this is a very like kind of convoluted story and it's going to be hard to like translate to the public that like would make it seem like how how are you not just as bad as trump so i think that's the biggest issue and gonna be the biggest uphill battle for the white house of trying to navigate this this has been used like the trump element of like for the love of god people like see he is a criminal he's done Mm -hmm. and granted trump's done a gazillion criminal things but like this i feel like was the classic cherry on top of like how like when you're like absolutely trying to smack someone in the face with it, like how do you look past this? And now this, like you said, this was just like it, such a gift from heaven for Donald Trump. A thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. So this will be a running story and it is a definitely a, we'll keep you updated moment. So mm-hmm. with that said, we'll just move on to the next, the next story here. 
So next story is a new Senate race announcement. Democratic Rep. Ruben Gallego, a liberal firebrand and prominent Latino lawmaker, announced Monday he'll challenge independent U.S. Senator Kirsten Sinema in 2024, becoming the first candidate to jump into the race and setting up a potential three-way contest. We had the pleasure of meeting Rep. Gallego we did. in New York City and great guy. Fantastic guy. Um, and also hilarious. a guy who hilarious. Also a guy who values young people mm-hmm. and is one of our younger members of Congress. So we'd love to see that. But nonetheless, Gallego said he'd fight for normal people struggling to make ends meet and losing faith in politicians. He said he and Cinema both come from a quote modest to poor means, but have taken different paths in Congress. I'm better for this job than Kirsten Cinema because I haven't forgotten where I came from, Gallego told the Associated Press. I think she clearly has forgotten where she came from. Instead of meeting with the people that need help, she meets with the people that are already powerful. Gallego, a 43-year-old military veteran first elected to Congress in 2014, had made no secret of his interest in challenging Cinema, a longtime rival in Arizona politics who has been a roadblock and irritant to Democrats during Joe Biden's presidency. She also, reminder, left the Democratic Party in December, registering as an independent and saying she doesn't, quote, fit well into a traditional traditional party system. She has not said whether she plans to run for a second term yet. And so although no Republican has entered the race, potential contenders include former former gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake, please no, former U.S. Senate candidate Blake Masters, and Pinal County Sheriff Mark Lamb, all of whom are closely aligned with former President Donald Trump. Governor Doug Ducey and Kareen Taylor Robson, a housing developer who lost to Lake in last year's primary, are also possible contenders. And so a three-way, three-way race coupled with the risk that cinema and the eventual Democratic nominee will split the vote would complicate the party's already uphill battle to maintain control of the Senate in 2024. Democrats will be forced to defend 23 seats, including cinemas, and two others held by independents compared with just 10 seats for Republicans. With tough and expensive races on the horizon, it remains unclear just how firmly Democratic establishment and major donors will line up against Cinema, who has voted for most Democratic legislation, even as she stood in the way of major priorities for the White House, congressional leaders, and the progressive movement. Gallego said, quote, I'm assuming that they will be with us because we are going to run the winning campaign. And because at the end of the day, if you look at where Arizonians are going to be, they're going to be with us and not with her. He announced his campaign with an online video that shows him talking to veterans at an American Legion post in Guadalupe, a Latino and indigenous community outside of Phoenix. He said his path from humble roots beating the odds by getting accepted to Harvard University motivates him to fight to preserve the American dream first in the military and now in politics. So we saw this one coming a little bit, but very excited that it is official and it's just going to I'm very interested to see what cinema's next move is, because I feel like she could run for president or is she going to run again as an independent and like try to secure that seat? This is the yeah. annoying part, too, is that she switched parties like after being elected as a Democrat, which I just don't think should be allowed because voters right. voted for a Democrat, not an independent. So this seat, I think, is going to be very interesting, especially trying to see where Arizona voters are going to go on this one. 
I totally agree. And I think this is one of those scenarios that we knew was going to be a bloodbath. We were expecting this for at least the last year that mm-hmm. this was going to be a bloodbath. But the thing is, what we weren't expecting was that cinema was going to change to being an independent. I don't think that, I'm not saying it was out of the world of possibility. I just didn't think that she was going to do it while still in office. Yeah. Like while still in this current Senate position. If anything, like I totally saw that she could have switched to being an independent at some point. Especially because she was already acting like an independent. (laughs) Totally. Like I think she always viewed her, or not always, but I think in recent years viewed herself that way or is like this. But the move was, we talked about this when it happened, like just seems like such a clear like presidential primaries coming up or. It really does. Or I mean, or this move too as the, on the Senate side. I mean, I really regardless of which path it goes it's a bloodbath and it's interesting because we were talking about i think not last week but the week before like kitty porter's future primary for that senate seat and Mm -hmm. there are a few other big hitters that are going to jump in officially over the next few weeks and how that as a primary is going to be insane and like these races just keep keep on coming these -hmm. announcements keep on coming and i i'm just sitting here like going like oh shit like it's just gonna be a mess like mm-hmm. a hot mess no matter how There's so many you flip it and i just would so like to point ones. people or i would like to point people in a particular direction and that is to our girl in the gov instagram account the regular the just the classic the girl in the gov is we do have a little series going called candidate watch and we are sharing the profiles the social media, specifically Instagram. We did actually have a Twitter one today because they didn't have an Instagram. So we'll be reaching out to them. Let me tell you. But regardless, <laughs> the Instagram profiles of the candidates jumping in for 2024 and for 2023, because we have a lot of 23 of races, people are still jumping into those. So regardless, if you're curious as to who is jumping into some of these races, where to follow them, we have deets there as they emerge. We'll be adding to that. So that's a good spot to look. Nonetheless, something else here is talking about the January 6th convictions. Four members of the Oath Keepers were convicted today, aka Monday, the day before this episode has gone live, of seditious conspiracy in the January 6, 2021 Capitol attack in the second major trial of far-right extremists accused of plotting to forcibly keep President Donald Trump in power. The verdict against Joseph Hackett of Sarasota, Florida, Robert Minuta of Prosper, Texas, David Morshell of Punta Gorda, Florida, and Edward Vallejo of Phoenix comes weeks after a different jury convicted the group's leader, Stuart Rhodes, in the mob's attack that halted the certification of President Joe Biden's electoral victory. It's another major victory for the Justice Department and America, which is also trying to secure sedition convictions against the former leader of the Proud Boys and four associates. The trial against Enrique Tarrio and his lieutenants opened earlier this month in Washington and is expected to last several weeks. The Washington jury deliberated for about 12 hours over three days before delivering their guilty verdict on the rarely used charge, which carries up to 20 years in prison. The four were also convicted of two other conspiracy charges as well as obstructing an official proceeding. Congress's certification of the 2020 election, Minuta, Hackett, and Morshell were acquitted of lesser charges. And... And an Arkansas man who propped his feet up on the desk of then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office during the U.S. Capitol riot was convicted on Monday of joining a mob's attack on the building two years ago. 
A jury deliberated for approximately two hours before unanimously convicting Richard Bigo. <laughs> well, that feels right because I think Bigo might be a bigot. Barney on all. <laughs> Got, Got him. Got him. That just felt right. That was Anyways, good. Bigo the bigot is convicted on all eight counts in his indictment, including felony charges of civil disorder, obstruction of an official proceeding. Bigo lounging at a desk in Pelosi's office made him one of the most memorable figures from the riot on January 6th, the day when Congress convened a joint session to certify Biden's electoral victory. U.S. District Judge Christopher Cooper scheduled to sentence Bigo on May 3rd. The judge agreed to let Bigo remain free on certain conditions until his sentencing. Side of the courthouse or outside the courthouse after the verdict, Bigo vowed to appeal his conviction, calling it injustice. Okay. Anyone like even if this weren't a political, like a riot, an insurrection, a deadly event, all these things, putting your dirty boots <laughs> on a beautiful desk like that mm-hmm. is a crime. That is disgusting. That is an insult to the craftsmanship of that architectural piece. And that alone, that alone, politics aside, is a sin. So your mom did not teach you right, I'll tell you that much. He noted that judge had rejected his request to move his trial from Washington to Arkansas. Yeah, well, great. Yeah. Um, Luck. Thank God, up. because I'm currently reading... Again, it will maybe take me 10 years to read a book. I'm reading How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them by Barbara Walter. And it is terrifying. Terrifying. Mm, I bet. Absolutely. Like, I don't like horror movies. This is reading a horror movie except for Life is Real. And I look forward to getting to the part of how to stop them. But I can tell you that the convictions of these bad dudes is incredibly necessary and relieving in context of not only what they did but in terms of thinking about how civil wars start i recommend Mm -hmm. that everyone read this book and i'm only a fourth of the way through um but it's really it's not just interesting but it's just super important to understand exactly literally how civil wars start and how to stop them and i will also give this plug of the fact that It's super conversational in the style of writing, so it's easy to read. It's not like you're reading, like, a wonky textbook on something. It's an actual, like, good read. I love that. Yeah, I I know. And with reading in mind, you might as well plug the Gov Club's book club because we now have launched a book club within our Gov Club. And if you want to join, you should go to girlinthegov.com, learn about our Gov Club and what we offer with it, including the book club, and sign up. We'll hop on a call and we'll get you in to the Gov Club and hopefully get time. you joining the book club and, and getting the book that is And you know read. what I even added to our form, which is like a quick little sign up form. I saw that. She saw, she's on it and opt into the book club. So for example, if you are so deep for like some of like the networking and other things involved in the Gov Club, but you're like, guys, like love you, but like not interested in being a part of a book club. I'm in 10 already, or I'm just like not a reader, whatever. Don't worry about it. Just tell us like you're opting out. If you're like, oh my God, this book club is the best thing that's ever happened to the universe. Count me in. You'll opt in. It's just Mm -hmm. easy peasy, multiple choice question in that little form. So get her done. Go sign up. But quick quick thoughts on this story. I Mm, Yes. This has been 
these trials have been happening for a while now. We're starting to see some convictions. And I'm just curious to see what happens with Donald Trump because you know, like my New Year's resolution mm, since right forever has been to see Donald Trump go to prison. And knowing that though, like these guys are being held accountable is a good sign if there is a way that the Justice Department can then tie this back to Donald Trump. I hope that they can. I think it's pretty obvious, but obviously you're going to need some good evidence in order to do that, especially to a former president. So seeing more of these convictions happen and justice happen is a good sign and hopefully one that will only continue with everyone involved, including those up at the top. You know what I mean? Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And something that is a good resource also in all of this is the Insurrection Index which shows you literally the status of all these criminals and where their proceedings are at, if they're running for office, if they're in elected office, pretty much the full story. And if for there. any reason you have any type of tea for them, you can submit mm-hmm. anything you might know about these people. I, I hope you don't have any ties to these people, but if so, and you know something. True. Insurrection Index. But that is it for Top Stories of the Week. Tune in tomorrow. We have a fresh episode. Samantha, would you like to tell everyone about it? (laughs) Happy to tell you about tomorrow's episode because our friend Emily came on the show and she is a White House correspondent and she runs us through like what that's like. Like, what is it like to actually be in the press room? How does one become a White House correspondent? What's the deal with all of that? The tea that comes with it. All the tea. Tune in. It's very interesting. Yeah. So that's about it. That's about it. Also, go Um, check out some TikToks. I'm going to put some content up of our beautiful day at Golden Gate Bridge with Speaker Pelosi. Follow us on all things social media. Subscribe, rate, review. And tell your friends about us because not only is that just a really nice thing to do for us, but it's also a great thing to do for society, for the world. Because the more people who know about us and who listen to this show, the more people who will be civically engaged, the more people who will turn out to vote, the more people who will get their friends to turn out to vote because friends don't let friends miss elections. And you will be doing your civic duty in sharing this podcast with your friends and family so with that i will leave you wait no you won't because i have one more request of the people okay and that is for everyone to go to our latest tiktok with bro Kana, congressman Kana, and tag paris hilton in the comments please please do thank you we need to get it to paris we're trying to get get paris on the show and that's about that's out on that Yeah, so if you want Paris on the show to say that's hot and she's slipping, then that's what you need to do. Thank you. Yes, please. All right. Toodaloo. Talk to you tomorrow. Hey, guys. Popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.
Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.